we, uh, we're going to dig into uh, 1 Peter, as Josh mentioned this morning, and uh, uh, I would like for you to, to just pray with me that we'll be able to, uh, to uh, get what, what God uh, wants for us today, because as Josh mentioned, trials are a major theme in the book of 1 Peter, and, uh, and, and going through, like, I didn't, I didn't choose this, uh, you know, this is what's laid out in the curriculum that we're using, the Gospel Project curriculum, and yet it's, uh, it's, it's uh, significant, isn't it? How many of you believe in the providence of God? Do you, do you understand what I mean when I say the providence of God? The fact that God oversees everything and, and everything happens according to his will and, and, uh, and that he has already made provision for us. And God provided this topic for us today from his word, 1 Peter. Now, the curriculum says 1 Peter chapter 1, 2, and 3, which is interesting as if we could uh, possibly cover uh, those whole three chapters this morning in a sermon, which we uh, kind of, well, maybe, but... Uh, um, but really, the whole book of First Peter is five chapters, and really, it deserves to be studied in its entirety. I hope that you've had a chance to read, do some reading in First Peter. Um, I, I'm kind of excited about the fact that that First Peter, Peter addresses his uh, letter. If we want to jump in here in First Peter chapter one, verses one and two, he says, "Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ." I, I love Peter. I don't know. As we're going through the gospel accounts, if uh, if you related to Peter at all, but I, I relate to Peter, uh, I think most of us do a lot of the time, you know. And I just I love to think about about this 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 guy who this fisherman who the Lord called and who was kind of rambunctious and sort of a natural born leader, but at the same time was constantly sticking his foot in his mouth and. And, uh, but I, I, just, I just love the guy. I love to think about what God did in his life, what Jesus Christ did in Peter's life. And so he writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, because that is how, how Jesus changed his life, made him an apostle, uh, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. And I'm excited about that because if, if you've been with us on this three-year journey through the Bible, it wasn't that long ago we were in the Old Testament uh, time known as the dispersion or the exile of the uh, people of God from uh, Jerusalem and from the Promised Land, and by, it was they were dispersed by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians, and many of them made their way back, or I shouldn't say many of them, actually just a small remnant made their way back to the land. Most of them stayed among the, uh, became known as the diaspora or the dispersion. And that, and, but, but then we remember we read in Acts chapter two, when Peter, this same Peter, got up to preach on the day of Pentecost, the first sermon preached after the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, Peter addressed his sermon there to all of those who were uh, visiting uh, Jerusalem that day for the Feast of Pentecost and uh, when God sent the Holy Spirit uh, who empowered Peter to preach to all of those who were gathered, it says there in Acts chapter 2 verse 5, from every nation under heaven. And so, so I, I, uh, I get excited about those kinds of things because I can be kind of nerdy and uh, the, but they, uh, they, the, those details uh, fascinate me, and uh, and it's and it's it's pertinent to the letter. It's pertinent to what he's writing here because, as we're going to see as we read on, 
uh, in addressing his letter to the exiles or those who are the dispersed ones, Peter means for you and I to identify with those people. Because as he goes on to explain in his letter, we are strangers in this land. We are living in exile. And that's why it's so pertinent when we study the prophets of the dispersion or the prophets of the exile in the Old Testament. And we read where Jeremiah and others instructed the people how to live in a foreign land how to remain faithful to God, how to relate to those around you who do not know the God you love and serve, it's critically important for us as Christians because that is our situation. Peter picks up on that, and that's, uh, that's really a significant thing. Um, so at this rate, we will be out of here by 5 o'clock this afternoon. To those who are elect exiles of dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. You see the Trinity there? It's right there, right? Father, Spirit, Son, Jesus. And the reference to the blood of Jesus. That's significant. Uh, you, they knew about the blood. You know about the blood, right? The significance of the blood. Leviticus 26, I've given it to you to make atonement for your souls. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There is no forgiveness of sins. Um, so the obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling for his blood. Um, verse 3, and we'll read through to verse 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the testing... Uh, so that the, sorry, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You ever notice that apostles write very long sentences? You ever notice that? <laughs> they say Ephesians chapter 1 is all one sentence. I don't know how they do that in the Greek language. We struggle in English, but, but uh, because the thoughts just pour out of them. Right? It's just, these thoughts are pouring out of him. And uh, it says, though you have not seen him, and I, I love this, verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Anybody here today love the Lord? You have not seen him with your eyes, but uh, as somebody pointed out, faith is uh, believing in that which we cannot see. I think that might have been Josh that said that. Uh, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That is Peter's main theme, salvation. He talks about trials, but his main theme is salvation. And... uh, the theological term that refers to the doctrine of salvation that, that, uh, that I uh, see in Scripture is, is uh, sometimes referred to as inaugurated eschatology. Now, you probably won't use that phrase, but uh, 
hopefully you know what uh, inauguration uh, means. Uh, speaking of salvation, it means that it's not going to happen all at once. That's all it means. It means that it's not going to happen all at once. Remember back a few weeks ago as Jesus was approaching Jerusalem, we were studying there in Luke chapter 19. He was approaching uh, Jerusalem, making his way up from uh, down the, the Jordan uh, Valley and then to the city of Jericho and he runs into Zacchaeus. And after his uh, interaction with Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus repents and, and believes and, and receives Jesus, uh, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Today salvation has come to this house. Since he is also, speaking of Zacchaeus, a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Then the next sentence says, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed or expected that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Uh, then he, the parable he tells there is the parable of the talents. And if you remember the parable of the talents, or the parable of the ten minas, as it's called, I think, in some versions, um, it's, a, it's a, a parable about the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And the point that I'm uh, wanting to set out before you here is, is that salvation in Scripture is both an event and a process. Both an event in time and a process over time. And Peter's going to talk more about this. Because this is, this is important, an important truth that he wants us to understand. Now, he's already starting to lean into this because he mentions here in verse um, 3, or ver, uh, is it verse 3? I think it's verse 3. Um, yeah, it is. That we've been born again. We've been born again. He says it in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And he's going to pick up on that uh, uh, again. Uh, so Peter's writing about a salvation, the salvation of our souls, which is both an event in time and a process over time. And the process over time is actually something he calls here a little while. I don't know if you picked up on that or not. A little while. He says... Uh, Verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So in this while, we experience various trials. When we talk about trials, and when we think about the hard things in life, there's a lot of different Things that can be hard, aren't there? The word various is, is just a, a way a, a, of giving a, a, a nod to the many different types of trials, uh, many different forms that trials take in our lives. Now, maybe, well, let me ask you, do you, throughout the last week or so, as you've been celebrating, and as you celebrate Christmas, and we're still celebrating, so celebrating, but have you thought, have you remembered those that are going through trials? Do you, do you remember those who maybe uh, are really struggling this Christmas? Maybe they've lost a loved one or maybe they lost a loved one at uh, some point in the past at Christmas time. 
or maybe they've gone through something and, and, and Christmas just it acts as a trigger and, and, it, and it's hard. Do you remember those people? Or maybe you are, maybe you are those people. Maybe that's you. Maybe you uh, have trials in your life even today. Um, Peter's subject is salvation, but he's not, mind, uh, not unmindful of the trials that these people were facing in their lives or that we all face at different times in our lives. Um, verses uh, 10 through 12, he casts our attention back to the Old Testament. Um, the, the apostles uh, always grounded their teaching in Old Testament scripture. We can't afford to neglect all of scripture because we need all of scripture and if you read through First Peter, you'll notice numerous, uh, consistently, Peter quotes from the Old Testament scriptures. Um, in verses 10 through 12, he, he goes back uh, in the scriptures and uh, basically makes this reference to, uh, to Pentecost, which is really interesting. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, concerning the salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be uh, yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who were who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. Um, now maybe, maybe Peter just doesn't have maybe just the day of Pentecost in mind. Maybe because this, the, the good news has been preached in the power of, spirit, of the Spirit ever since Pentecost. But I, I think it's... it's um, uh, I think it's, uh, it's interesting because Peter introduces his letter uh, addressing the exi- elect exiles of the dispersion. And, uh, and, of course, Peter was the one who preached that first sermon at Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, and uh, preached the gospel, the good news, uh, to those who were there. So uh, I... I just, I don't know, I find that, uh, that, that really interesting. And then in verse 13, Peter gives a call to action. The faith that saves is not a passive faith. The faith that saves us, the faith of salvation, is not a passive faith. Um, Peter's main subject is salvation, uh, but Peter sees salvation as both an event and a process, and it's a process of which we are a part, we play a role in that. And we'll see that as we go on. Because Peter is very concerned about how we conduct ourselves in our lives in this world. That's going to be something that he's going to really uh, focus and shine a lot of light on. How we conduct ourselves while living in this foreign land as strangers and pilgrims. Then in... uh, Yeah, verse 13, let's read that. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. This is a call to action that Peter's giving here. He says, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So 
the idea of setting our focus, setting our minds on the hope that lies ahead in order to live well today in these days. Then Peter immediately goes uh, negative. He starts talking about what we're not supposed to do. Now, that's not very culturally acceptable in our day because we're, we, uh, uh, we don't even like to talk about sin in, in our culture. Everything has to be uh, positive and only positive. Um, he tells us not to be conformed to the world. Um, let's read that. First Peter chapter 1, verses 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions, uh, pa- passions of your former ignorance. Reminds me of uh, Paul in Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? Uh, do not be conformed to the world. That's what Paul said. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so there's both the negative and the positive side of that, right? It's about about what we need to do, but it's also about what we shouldn't be doing. And sometimes we need to start with that. And Peter starts with that because sometimes we have to stop what we're doing in order to do do what we should be doing. And that's kind of where he's going here, is is that that living uh, right requires that we stop living wrong. And with the... Heaven knows that there's so many things in our lives that we've just learned or in, our, in our lives or, or picked up or it's just in us because sin is in us. Uh, ways of living that, are, that don't bring glory to God, that aren't uh, grounded in faith and that we need to walk away from. Uh, look what he says here. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct. Now he's going to use that phrase. He's going to use that repeatedly because he's very concerned about how we conduct ourselves as strangers and aliens in this, in this world, as citizens of heaven. Uh, Since it is written, you shall be holy, verse 16, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, uh, knowing that you were ransomed for Uh, from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He's mentioning the blood again, because it's significant. The the blood that Jesus shed for you and for me, the price that he paid, that which he endured, that which he took on, uh, so that we could be uh, ransomed. Um, from the futile ways we inherited from our forefathers, uh, but with ver- uh, the blood of Christ, the pre- precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown, verse 20, before the foundation of the world, um, but was made manifest in the last time for the, uh, the sake of you. This is, harkens back to verse 12, if you picked up in verse 12 there, where he says that it was revealed to them, the Old Testament prophets, it was revealed to them um, that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that were not, uh, that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. 
So that's verse 20 says, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Notice there the reference in verse 14 to of, uh, um, obedient children. Uh, the theme of obedience is, again, something he's going to pick up on again and again. Um, he, uh, he used it in verse 2. He'll use it again in the next verse, which is verse 22. Uh, and it's an, it's an important uh, concept that he wants us to um, be thinking about. Um, but notice the motivational factor here. What is going to compel us in our good conduct? Well, he references here the precious blood of Jesus. Precious blood of Christ, verse 19. And, he, and notice that he says, back in verse 18, you were, not, uh, you were ransomed from your futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Take note of that. Um, because he identified the, uh, the blood back in chapter, in, in verse 2, he spoke of the blood. And then in verse 7, he talks, uh, which we read already, he talks about something else that's precious. Do you remember what he said was precious in verse 7? Anybody? The blood of Jesus Christ is precious. It's not a perishable thing like silver or gold. Verse 7, your faith is precious. Unlike gold that perishes. The correlation between those two things cannot be coincidental. And the value of something is determined by what its ability to endure, right? If, if something is really, really valuable uh, today, but not valuable tomorrow, then how valuable is it? And even gold, gold has always been kind of the, it's the, what do they call it? The, the um, type of currency they call it. It's like it's, it, 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 if you're worried about the economy, where the economy is going, then buy gold because gold has always been considered the, I forget what they call it, economists. I'm no economist, but economists have a name for it. But the point being is it's always valuable. There is a day coming when gold will have no value at all. Zero. But there will never be a day when the blood of Jesus has no value. And there will never be a day when genuine faith has no value. Because even when we, the day when we see with our eyes, our faith, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, will result on that day in praise and honor and glory to Jesus Christ. It takes time to see if something is perishable or imperishable. Verse 20, if you want to look, um, harkens back to verse 12, I pointed that. Verse 21, uh, if we read it again, it says, Who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. When it comes to the genuineness or the refining of our faith, whether we're thinking of salvation as an event or as a process, salvation is always God's work 
And so our faith is always to be in him. Our hope is always to be in him. I would say this to you today. If you feel that you have hope, but you don't have Jesus, you have no hope. You're wrong. If you feel like you have no hope, but you have Jesus, you're wrong. Because if you have hope, if you have Jesus Christ, then you have hope. And, and time will tell, right? Because time is the thing that tells all. That's an old saying, isn't it? Time tells all. And what time doesn't tell, eternity will. That's the way I learned it. Time tells all, but what time doesn't tell, eternity will. And uh, it's true. It's very true. Uh, Jesus said, what should it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So these are the things that are of ultimate value. But our faith that is precious, according to Peter, uh, needs to be genuine. (laughs) And if our faith is going to be genuine, then it needs to be uh, refined and proven to be genuine, and it needs to be refined as genuine, and that's where the subject of trials keeps popping up in Peter's uh, letter and in our lives. Um, And we're going to see that if we can continue here and uh, speed up. We've got to go faster. Just pretend you're in an old western and you're trying to keep up. Just, Just keep riding, ride hard. Grab a hold and just put your mind to it. Um, having purified your souls by your obedience, verse 22, chapter one, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So here's another action point for Peter. And he's all about loving one another. And I just want to take just a moment to point out the significance of this placed on Peter uh, with regard to our relationships uh, that we have as family. Jesus said, by, all, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. By what? By your love for one another. That's what he said, John chapter 13. And this brotherly love is meant to include everyone, male, female, young, old, and it's called, but it's called brotherly love because it's family love. It's familial love. It's the love of those who share, uh, I think um, the, the, uh, the term means from the same womb. Having this, that shared identity, belonging to uh, one another, which is what being in the family of God is all about, is belonging to Christ. And therefore, if you belong to Christ and I belong to Christ, then we belong together. And that's what uh, that's all about. And so uh, note his next words in verse 23, he uses the phrase born again. Verse uh, Three, he used the, the term, and here in verse 23, he says it again. He says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And then he quotes the Old Testament again. Uh, I think this is um, Isaiah. Uh, for, all flesh is like grass, and all the glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word of the good news that was preached to you. So we're born again, and we grow up in our salvation. We're going to be uh, 
seeing him uh, reference that in chapter two. But right now he says that we've been born again and it's interesting because we usually think of being born again as being born of the spirit because Jesus talked about being born of the spirit. But Peter here attaches being born again to the word, to the word of God. But Jesus talked about that too because he said... Uh, he referred to the word as, as the seed. Remember the parable of the sower. He says the, the seed is the word. And, uh, you know, we, when we think about God's power in our lives and the power uh, that God has to change us and how he changes us, um, we tend to think of the power of the spirit or the power of the blood uh, and Peter has referenced both of those, but here he talks about the power of the Word of God, and we should not underestimate the power of the Word of God to change our lives. I hope that 2021 will be a year that will be in the Word of God. I hope we'll be studying the Word of God, because Heaven knows how many distractions there are that would try, you know, in our culture to take away, to take our time and our attention away from good old-fashioned Bible study. And I say old-fashioned because it seems like less and less people are in the Word of God in in our day. And then Peter, he he goes negative again, chapter two, verse one. Um, keeping in mind that chapter divisions are not, Peter didn't write in chapters, but those are for our help. I put it there by Bible translators for, to help us find our way around scripture. But he says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Do you remember a few moments ago we talked about brotherly love and loving one another? Here he's, how can you do that with these things in your life? And the answer is you can't. With malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, we can't love each other. So we got to put those things away. So, so Peter's going negative, but really he's not, is he? No. Just, he's calling us to make space in our lives for, for, for the love of God that we need to have for one another. And uh, so there's always that kind of tension between... The, uh, the negative and the positive side of things, just like there was always that tension between salvation being an event and being a process. Um, as we get into chapter two, and uh, don't worry, I'm not gonna go all the way through a whole of First Peter. Just put your mind at ease, all right? We're going we're gonna to let up a little bit here shortly, but, but, but as we get into chapter 2, this is where Peter takes the born-again experience and relates it to the growing-up experience. And this is important because salvation, in Peter's mind and in, in biblical terms, is both an event and a process. So in 1 Peter chapter uh, 2, verse 2 and 3, he says, like newborn infants... So that's the born again experience, right? Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Grow up 
into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, when you've tasted something good, this is Christmas time, right? So I, I know you're all eating good things, right? And you put something, you know, really good in your mouth, you know, what, you know and, you, and you have a bite. What, what's the next thing you want to do? Have another bite, right? Have another bite. Yeah, that's, that can become a, a problem. But the point is, is he want more. And that's what Peter's talking about. We should want more. Uh, wanting more of what God has done in our life. The idea that we would be born again and then not grow is, is just, it's just uh, absurd, right? Because once you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you just want more and more of the, of the Lord. Now, Peter changes his analogy a little bit at this point, and he starts talking about uh, moving away from the organic uh, life uh, metaphor to that of a building, because uh, he says, he talks about being built, uh, built up in verses uh, 4 and 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. And he uses that, that, that uh, phrase. And uh, he talks about being built up into a spiritual house. He, he identifies, he goes into the Old Testament again and identifies the prophecies of Christ as the chief cornerstone. He uses that word precious again, that the cornerstone is precious. Jesus Christ, the one who was rejected, the cornerstone who was rejected by men, but he is precious and he has become the cornerstone. And our lives are built up into a spiritual house, he says there. Again, the word house is usually used as a metonym in scripture for family. So we're being built into a spiritual family over time. Christ who was rejected, ends up becoming the chief cornerstone. And those who rejected him ended up being rejected by him. You can read it. We won't put it up. It's First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. And then in verse 11 through 25 of First Peter chapter 2, he begins to develop this theme more of how we conduct ourselves towards others in the world. And it really includes, it includes chapter three and it takes in chapter four and five too because Peter is very concerned about how we conduct ourselves in this world as children of God, citizens of heaven, sojourners and exiles. Uh, look at verse 11, 1 Peter 2 Verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. How many of you know what a sojourner is? It's not a word we use a lot. Okay, I see one hand. <laughs> Do you know what a sojourner is? It's really quite simple. It's not a word we use a lot, but it means somebody who is living someplace temporarily. Pardon? Passing through. passing through, yep. The old song, right? This world is not my own. I am just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue and I will not sing. Although Josh sang for us a couple of weeks ago when he was preaching and I guess I could do that and get away with it maybe. But um, you know that song? I'm sure you do. <laughs> then look at verse... Uh, Verse 12, uh, verse 11 says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. 
Verse 12 says, keep your conduct among gent- the Gentiles honorable so that they, uh, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, they might call you an evildoer. They might look at your good deeds and, and they may say, those aren't good deeds. That's, we we, we uh, despise that, what you're saying and what you're doing. But someday, the truth will be told because of what time doesn't tell, eternity will. And his concern here, Peter's concern, is that we would keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And it's really, really quite interesting because what he gets into here then as he moves through the rest of his letter is it deals with the different hierarchical structures of authority in the world. And he calls us and calls on us to have an attitude of respect and gentleness and submission. And this is where it gets very, very interesting. First Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, and we will not be going through all of these, but this is how he leads into it. He says, uh, verse uh, 13 of chapter 2, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. <laughs> you know, we want to argue, right? We really want, we look, you turn go home and turn on the news. Do you, am I the only one that talks to TV commercials? <laughs> I think not. You know, we want to set people straight, right? But what's really going to set people straight? Do you think we can argue people into our position, that, you know? Peter says, this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So he starts at the top. He starts at the emperor, with the emperor, and then he goes down from there. Now, th- this is interesting because the content of 1 Peter, what time is it? Okay, you get all kinds of time. The content of 1 Peter is an indication that Peter is writing at a time when the persecution of the Christians is just starting to ramp up under this guy named Nero. You ever heard of him? Yeah. He was the Caesar that really started the, the, to really persecute the Christian church. And the others that followed behind him just made it worse. Um, you know, a lot of Christians in our day in the Western world, and you probably know this, but a lot of them are rallying the troops right now to take a stand against the government over all these restrictions that the government has put in place because of the coronavirus pandemic. Now, it is my humble opinion that they are misguided. And I'll just say to couple things about that before we try to pull some of this stuff together here. Um, A couple things. You'll hear people say, well, you know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, that we should not forsake assembling ourselves together. That's a direct command from God. And so this would clearly be a time when we should be obeying God rather than being obeying, rather than obeying men. Two things about that. One, all commands are not equal in Scripture. Jesus himself spoke of some commands having more weight or being weightier than others. 
That's the first thing. And the second thing is that even the command to gather is given as a pragmatic command. It's not a mean, and it's not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. And if you read Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews is concerned there that we would stop encouraging one another and stop living for the Lord. And Peter's concern here is, is the way we conduct ourselves among the people of this world and put to silence uh, foolish people by the way we live doing good deeds. That's his concern. And, and here he calls us, he says in verse uh, 16 and 17, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And when you consider when Peter is writing this, it carries a lot of weight. Peter goes on from there to talk about what we could consider to be the business realm. He talks about slaves, masters, and he says in verse, uh, it says in verses 18 through 21 that we are to have gentleness and respect even for those who are unjust and who treat us unjustly. And when we suffer unjustly, verse 19, we are to follow the one who suffered at the hands of others, yet entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Who's that? God the Father. And then he says in verse 21, for this reason you have been called. For this to this you have been called. And he repeats that statement, phrase again uh, in, uh, in uh, chapter 3. We're called to it. I, I, I want to revisit that just a minute with you because I don't know about you, but that challenges my heart big time. That we are to show gentleness and respect even to those who are unjust. And when we suffer unjustly, you, you can read it in your Bibles there. I don't have it for the screen. Read it in your scriptures. Uh, verse 19, we are to fo follow the one who suffers, who um, suffered at the hands of others. Yet, verse 22, um, or sorry, yeah, 22? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's 20, sorry, verse 20. Uh, entrusted himself to him who judges justly. For to this you have been called. To this you have been called. Peter's writing in the context of trials. The trials we experience. He says that we are to suffer trials and tribulations while submitting and doing good in spite of it all to the glory of God. Because we are not saved from trials, we are saved through trials. And then Peter goes on, he brings the whole husband and wife thing in. It's really, it's, it's, uh, it's quite interesting because he's talking about suffering, 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 suffering. And then you get chapter three, he says, likewise wives. <laughs> and we do, we joke about the whole uh, husband and wife thing, but you know, it's amazing how much, uh, how, the amount of grief uh, in people's lives in the context of our immediate relationships of family and marriage, especially when you have those who believe and obey and those who do not. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. You'll see Paul talks about that there. Those who, who do not believe, who do not obey, what about them? 
I would encourage you to read those first seven verses of 1 Peter chapter 3. You talk about countercultural, that's countercultural. We won't look at it today. You look at it, you read it, see what you think. And then in verses 8 and 9, he gives a summary application. Let's look at that. Summary application, verses 8 and 9 of chapter 3. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. A lot of consistency between the different apostles on this, isn't there? Because Paul, you could be reading for, uh, Romans chapter 13 here, right? And James, where James talks about resisting the devil and submitting to God. And, and, and Peter picks up on all these things too. There, there's consistency here. Bless. Just keep blessing and blessing and blessing. It's like when do you, when do you stop? When do you stop? It says that Jesus was reviled, but he reviled not. It says here that we're not to repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Remember Jesus talked about turning the other cheek? Do you remember that? Bless. Now, it appears that Peter's kind of reached a conclusion of sorts here, Right? And Peter has this summary statement in verses 8 and 9. But Peter, like a lot of preachers, um, just thought he was done. Because, because he wanted to drive the point home. And so he does. Like if you read through, and we're not going to read through it today, but I, I, we are going to read a few more verses together. But, but if you look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, he goes back to the Old Testament again, and, and, and he grinds, grounds his teaching in the Old Testament. And then in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 17, he just hammers away on his main, on these points. When you suffer, do good. Honor Christ as Lord. Always respond to those who trouble you with gentleness and respect. He's already used those same phrases. He's using them again. Driving the point home. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And why? Well, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 to 22, he says in so many words, because that's the way Jesus showed us. You read it on your time. 1 Peter chapter 3, 18 to 22, that's the way Jesus showed us to live, because that's what he did. Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins. He also died as an example of how we are to live our lives. John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says, we are to lay down our lives for the brothers. Here Peter's talking about how we respond to those outside who shame, who ridicule, who persecute, who slander, who revile, who mistreat, us. How do we respond? We look at how Jesus responded. We say, respond like he did. You say, well, that's really hard, yeah? Yeah? Makes me feel like a baby. 
But look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 4. We'll put it on the screen for you. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. He's drawing on the example of Christ as an example of how to endure suffering and trials in this world. And he says it will require that we adopt this way of thinking. That's the phrase he uses there. Now, Peter's conclusion does come in chapter 5. I'm going to wrap, I'm going to wrap this up. He does conclude, and when he concludes, um, everything, in a minute we're going to read from chapter 5, and everything, what we read in a moment, the only thing that he says after this is personal greetings. So this is his conclusion of his full letter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Are you ready? 1 Peter 5, verse 6 and following, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he might exalt you. He might exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. How do we resist? Do we form a resistance movement? Do we go and, and, and lobby the government? Or, or, or not that it's never wrong to do those kinds of things, but that's not what Peter is talking about. It's not what James talked about. It's not what Jesus talked about. It's not what Paul talked about. We resist by staying faithful and entrusting ourselves to God, our God, our Father in heaven. And after, verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It's... Interesting to me, thinking of the providence of God, that we had the conversation early this morning about this year being a year of strengthening and allowing the events of this year to establish us and to strengthen us. How does, how does that happen? How does it not break us? How does it not ruin us? You've heard the saying, we've all heard the saying, what doesn't kill you will make you stronger, right? Well, how does that happen though? What's the difference? Why is it in some cases it, it, it's completely demoralizing and in other cases it just seems to build, build people and make people? What's the difference? The difference is how we entrust ourselves to the Lord. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever Amen. That's Peter's conclusion. He's, his mind is clearly on the trials that we suffer, but his main subject is the salvation we experience as we entrust our souls to God, the one who saves us. And those tri- through those trials, as we humble ourselves, and as we entrust ourselves to him, and as we submit ourselves, the kind of faith, that kind of faith is more precious 
than gold that perishes because it is tested by fire and results in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As Peter says in chapter one and verse seven, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Chapter one, verse eight and nine. Here's the thing about trials. Trials prevent us from putting our hope in the things of this world. Think about it. Think about it. What would your life be like if nothing ever went wrong? What would your life be like as a Christian if this, your experience in this world was just like having the world by the tail? Everything falling into place, everything going well, you say, wow, that would be pretty nice, wouldn't it? But what would that really do? We'd get really comfortable really fast, wouldn't we? This would start to feel like home. But we're sojourners. We are exiles. You're a, as a Christian, you're a come from away. You're not from here anymore. That's what Jesus meant when he said that to pray to the Father for you and for me, saying that they may be in the world but not of the world. Because as a Christian, you're not of this world. The trials that you experience are signs of rejection. Because this world is not your home. And they prevent us from getting too comfortable in a place where we really don't belong. And this way they remind us. They remind us of who we are and whose we are. So that, listen, so that we conduct ourselves accordingly here while we look forward to the day when we will be home. That's what Peter wants to see in your life and mine. Now, I have to confess to you that, like, I'm up here preaching this, you know, and just like, preach it, brother, preach it. Like, suffering, trials, I'm just a baby when it comes to those things. I'm a big crybaby. I don't know about you, but it takes, like, nothing to make me cry. I do not like to suffer. I don't like trials. But if my faith is going to grow, it will require trials because that's what trials accomplish. They grow our faith because our faith needs to be not in the things of this world, but in God. That's where our hope needs to be. I hope that's where your hope is today. Will you join me uh, in, in prayer as we close? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for First Peter. Thank you for Peter. Thank you for his words to us and how he gives it out straight up the way we obviously need to hear it.
Lord, we confess we need your help in this. Help us, Lord, to not grow comfortable in a place we do not belong. Help us to have our faith firmly fixed and our eyes firmly fixed on you. And we thank you for the salvation that you have for us, that you paid the price and shed your precious blood so that we can know that we belong to you and that our home is with you. We pray you would help us in these things and that all the honor and glory would go to you. In Jesus' name, amen.